Sunday, June 11th, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. There may be some delays, a struggle to find workers, and some question over where to source materials, but infrastructure projects are being worked on all across the country. And the White House says you can track them all now with their new website. One of the reasons why we did this website so that everybody in America can see in real time where their money is gone, where it's being spent by, by community. I'm Kevin Cork. Supplying Ukraine with U.S.-made F-16s was a decision that was a long time in the making. But for the country's war effort against Russia, the feeling in Kiev is better late than never. A sentiment shared by those who've studied this conflict half a world away. There's going to be a great allied effort to train the pilots, supply the spare parts, keep Ukraine's F-16s flying, and actually give them the airframes. This all could have been done so much earlier. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. It's been over a year and a half since President Biden signed the infrastructure law, a $1.2 trillion package with less than half of that in new committed spending toward infrastructure projects. Still, more than $220 billion is now out the door, according to the White House. And along with the Chips and Sciences Act and the Inflation Reduction Act, the White House says new private investment in semiconductor manufacturing, electric cars, batteries, clean tech, and biomanufacturing has topped $470 million. Now, for those interested in tracking which project where is getting how much, the White House has set up a new website. This map is broken down between public infrastructure projects and private investments, and it's pretty easy to navigate. Now, actually, building all of these projects has been a task. For months, we've heard about too few workers and too many job openings. And that is true in the construction industry as well. Superior Construction CEO Nick Largura told Fox News earlier this year. If you're somebody that really wants to just earn a paycheck, contribute to the greater good of the country, then working in the crafts, I don't know how there's anything more rewarding than that. Sourcing materials for projects, including things like iron and steel, has also proven confusing. The Texas Department of Transportation Executive Director Mark Williams told a March Congressional Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure. ASHTO members strongly support the expansion of America's manufacturing capacity and workforce, and they are, they are sought through the policy objectives of Build America, Buy America. However, uncertainty and complexities related to implementation of program requirements contribute to project delays and increased costs, with contractors and utility companies struggling to meet the new and evolving sourcing requirements. He said between the costs of developing grant requests, some of which are denied, along with inflation and supply chain challenges, costs have been really high. And he says there have been some accounting discrepancies as well, and that's been frustrating state transportation departments around the country. Now, at that same hearing, Dwayne Boyd, regional president of building materials company CRH Americas, says they've been slowed down by things as well. We're ready to go to work and uh, see the DOT's delay projects, we call a permitting. Uh, obviously, it causes, causes workforce issues because I mean, we, we need to hire people, we need to put them to work. We don't need to be waiting. So we'd just like to see, um, obviously, more clarity in the permitting process to help speed up projects. It remains to be seen if someone like him will be satisfied with the new permitting reforms contained within the debt ceiling bill that was passed earlier this month. The White House insists, though, through it all, projects are getting done. And while a bit light on detail, you can view them all at this new website, invest.gov. There's probably not a project that you see 
anywhere in America that doesn't have federal dollars in it and infrastructure dollars that are part of the president's mission to rebuild the entire country. Mitch Landry is the former mayor of New Orleans and was appointed as the infrastructure law's implementation coordinator. We have pushed $212 billion out of the door. We have 32,000 projects that have been funded in all 50 states in 4,500 communities, um, and we're working really hard. This website, invest.gov, it's very interactive. It's broken down between public infrastructure and private investment. I go on the public infrastructure page. It's a little harder to navigate because there's so many dots. Um, but it looks like a lot of these projects are a DOT, right? Roads, bridges, well, airport that's, enhancements. Well, that's first. First of all, it's a great problem to have that there's so many dots that it's hard to navigate. But as I said, we pushed out $220 billion, 32,000 projects. And these are projects that are roads, bridges, airports, ports, uh, transit, uh, high-speed Internet, um, cleaning up the, the air and the water like abandoned mine lands or Arpen Wells, Superfund sites, brownfield sites, uh, and then all the projects to build a new clean energy economy. And on top of that, the point that you made, and this is the one the president made, is that if we make these federal investments, the private sector then will come in on top of that. We have $470 billion from the private sector to build plants, battery manufacturing plants, chip plants that are going to provide the millions of jobs that are going to put people back to work, many of which uh, don't require a college degree. So the president's vision was right, um, and the strategy is working. So tell me, though, when you most of these public infrastructure projects, it does look like it's DOT. And that 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 would would that's a, a, a proper calculation. Right. I mean, most of the money. No, no all, half of them, half of them are through the Department of Transportation because that department oversees roads, bridges, airports, ports and waterways. But the other half is in clean air and clean water out of the Environmental Protection Agency or the Department of Agriculture or the Department of Interior. And the clean energy piece is out of uh, the Department of Energy. So it's about half and half. Okay. Well, so when I go to the private infrastructure part of the map, we can see there's four types of dots that are color-coded, right? Semiconductors, batteries, EVs, clean energy, and biomanufacturing. I, I clicked right. on a clean energy button. I went. To, it took me to Boom Supersonic in Greensboro, North Carolina. $500 yep. million dollar investment, 1,800 jobs. Yep. It, when, when people read that and they're, they're looking for projects in their state, to be clear, that $500 million comes from Boom Supersonic, the company itself, or is that, correct. is that, okay, so th no, that's, that's not. correct. So if you look around, whether it's Siemens, um, you know, or whether it's Tritium, or whether it's GM, or that particular company, those dollars, or Micron, for example, $100 billion, or Intel, or the work that's being done in Phoenix, those are private, these are private companies that have said, listen, as a result of the president's public investments, we now know what direction the country is going in, and we're all in. And we're okay. going to put billions of dollars into building jobs with products that are made in America all across, you know, counties, communities, and cities all across the country. Okay, so let's talk about the things that have not been easy, right? The Republicans who did not support these bills, like chips and science and infrastructure, one of the complaints on infrastructure was too much waste, right? And, and as I'm reading, uh, Brookings wrote – Unlike the Recovery Act or the CARES Act, this bill did not provide for coordinated independent oversight of this funding. There's a lot of talk about possible fraud, and we all saw what happened with the COVID money. How confident are you that there are mechanisms in place? It sounds like the people analyzing the bill don't feel confident that there are enough well, mechanisms to make sure that, this is prote that there are protections against fraud. 
I want to mention two things about that. First of all, even those people that voted no on these bills, they all want the no. I haven't had one governor, one mayor, one congressman, especially those that voted against it, that said, no, thank you, Micron. We don't want $100 million investment in my community. Or no, we don't want you to clean up that waterway. No, we don't want in this country. Um, I mean, really, everybody has said we, we massively want these investments. That's number one. Number two, one of the first meetings that I held at the president's direction was with all of the inspectors generals um, because we don't want any waste, fraud, and or abuse. And from the beginning, the inspectors generals from each one of the departments has been overseeing and guiding um, and giving their advice about how to design these programs, how to make sure that we don't waste money, how to make sure that we do things, as I say all the time to everybody that I work with, we're building these things on time, on task, uh, and on budget. And uh, the oversight on this is going to be really strong and good, um, but we also want to build with speed. So we're doing both of these things at one time, and I feel very confident uh, that we're going to be able to be open and accountable and transparent. It's one of the reasons why we did this website, so that everybody in America can see in real time where their money is going, where it's being spent by, by community. Uh, and that's what this, this website is designed to do. You can also go on build, B-U-I-L-D dot gov, um, which has a deeper dive on the public infrastructure projects as well. Oh, okay. Tell me about that speed issue, though, that we've been hearing about the labor shortages. The construction unions have been saying that they they don't have enough workers. There have been plenty of articles written about if there's one thing that yeah. slows down these infrastructure projects, it might be a lack of, of labor. Yeah, but listen, that's a great problem to have, right? The, the terrible problem to have is to not have any jobs and to not have any openings and to have a very high unemployment rate. This president's vision for the country has created 13.1 million jobs in two years which is more than every other president has created in four years. We have one of the lowest unemployment rates in the country. And now, as a result of rebuilding the country, we have what I call a challenge, but with a fantastic opportunity. And one of them is workforce. And so we're spending a lot of times working with the private sector and the public sector to deal with this. As a matter of fact, the president is in North Carolina right now with the First Lady um, at a site talking about workforce training and development. We've also just picked six cities to do a a major dive on. We're constantly talking to uh, labor and business to help us make this happen. Because as you as you think about this, this workforce challenge and the opportunity that you have in a community is geographic specific, and it's sector specific. So, in Phoenix, where there's massive private investment in building semiconductors, you need to train that workforce for that. And for example, another part. Uh, of the country, if Siemens is actually manufacturing the kinds of train cars that have to go on the on the major investments we're making in the Northeast Corridor, people in that area have to be trained to actually do the trains. If you're doing a battery manufacturing plant, and so we're working with everybody to kind of get our legs underneath us to respond to this challenge. But think about how incredible an opportunity this is to create millions of high-paying jobs, many of which don't require a college education. So we're not daunted by that. We're excited by it. The number of electricians, architects, civil engineers, machinists, construction and project managers that are going to be required is just going to be unbelievable, and we're training them. Mitch, I know you have to go. I just have one more. The other concern I've heard from some folks around the country is priority funding. Uh, the Pajaro levee failure in California, Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi's water issues that they want to make sure. And I've heard reports out of North Carolina, too, um, about the, the number of bridges that are 
considered closer to failure than others. What's yep. the mechanism yep. in place that you can share with us about prioritizing those that maybe are getting D grades as opposed to an A or a B grade? Yeah, no question. Well, listen, let me talk to you about Jackson. I know a lot about that because the president sent me down there with Administrator Regan, also with the head of FEMA, also with the head of the Corps to run to the fire. We've also done this with Selma. Uh, I've done this with a team out in the West with the water crisis out there. So we have teams of people that are working on those things. Um, and as DOT, as you mentioned earlier, um, is getting this money to the ground. Ninety percent of this money is being spent by governors and mayors. So it really is incumbent upon them in partnership with us to identify where those crisis locations are. You may remember uh, just amazingly, you know, about 12, 13 months ago, the Fern Hollow Bridge collapsed on the day mm -hmm. that the president was actually going to that neighborhood in and around Pittsburgh. So when the president diverted his team, we went to that bridge. The governor, uh, with our help, rebuilt that bridge in 11 months um, for that community. So we, you have to do both. Remember, I mean, you, you're, you're rebuilding the entire country. These are infrastructure projects. They take a long time. But simultaneously, you have to pay attention to what's in front of you today. And we're trying to, you know, walk and chew gum at the same time, which we know that we can do well. And we're going to keep at it. More than 50 percent of the building materials, like steel and iron, American-made? Or do, do we issue a lot of waivers yeah. well, and we're getting what, that from that's other places? What the goal, that's what the goal is. You know, remember, that's been the goal since 1936, but there have always been exceptions to the rule, and yeah. the exceptions ate up the rule. The president wants to change that because the point here is to start manufacturing things with products that are made in America. And we're pushing industry really hard to make sure that the component parts of these projects meet those goals where they absolutely cannot be met. But then there's a pathway to meet them in a reasonably short period of time. There will be waivers, but the waivers are limited because we don't want the exception to eat up the rule. The rule is that we're building stuff in America, we're onshoring jobs, we're giving jobs to people that live in the communities, and we're doing it with products that are made here. Made in America is the big deal because that's the thing that's going to build the economy from the bottom up and the middle out and generate the kind of economic growth for folks that have been left out that the president has been talking about. Former New Orleans Mayor Mitch Landrieu, now in charge of the infrastructure bill. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. In for a penny, in for a pound. Throughout Russia's war against Ukraine, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has continuously asked NATO partners for F-16 fighter jets and other long-range missiles. During an address in March of 2022, President Zelensky pleaded for the world to send weapons to help unite them in their fight against Russia. We are speaking about closing the sky. You can't decide to close or not to close. You can't decide. If you are united against the Nazism and this terror, you have to close. Not me. Don't wait me asking you several times, a lot, million times, close the sky. No, you have to phone us to our people who lost their children and say, sorry, we didn't do it yesterday, one week ago. We didn't push Putin, we didn't speak with him a lot, we didn't found, find the dialogue with him, we, 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 we did nothing. And it's true, yesterday the world did nothing. I'm sorry, but it's true. Since the start of the war, the United States and other allies have been reluctant to provide Ukraine with the fighter jets. Last month, President Biden announced at the Group of Seven summit in Hiroshima, Japan, 
that the U.S. would finally join the F-16 coalition after the administration felt the munition would benefit Ukraine's long-term needs. The brutality with which Putin is conducting this full-blown assault is just, I don't think even three years ago anybody would have thought it could be anything like this. That's why the United States continues to do all we can to strengthen Ukraine's ability to defend itself, including launching some new joint efforts with our partners to train Ukrainian pilots on the fourth-generation fighter aircraft like the F-16. And uh, this week, uh, the G-7 also uh, imposed hundreds of new sanctions and uh, export controls against Russia's assets to ensure that we uh, keep pressure on Putin to hold his backers accountable for this war. These are sanctioning them as well. And today I'm announcing the next tranche of U.S. security assistance to Ukraine, a package that includes more ammunition, artillery, armored vehicles to bolster Ukraine's battlefield abilities. And uh, the United States continues to help Ukraine respond, recover, and rebuild. And we're also supporting your pursuit of a just peace, just uh, one aspect of Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. It has to be non-negotiable. It just has to happen. If the United States is going to help Ukraine defend itself against the ongoing Russian incursion, it needs to be all in, at least in a way that unmistakably lets Russia know that our goal is to help Ukraine not just survive, but to thrive. And that includes support for their efforts on the ground and in the skies. To the F-16 Fighting Falcon, President Biden in Japan, Dr. Rebecca Grant is president of Iris Independent Research, a small woman-owned business specializing in defense and aerospace research and consulting. Several days ago said, yes, it was okay for Ukraine to get F-16s. And this was a big change because Zelensky and Ukraine had asked for NATO air power from the very beginning, the answer was no. And then specifically for F-16s, which is a jet that's flown by lots of NATO partners, even a few months ago, they said, no, Ukraine doesn't need this for their counteroffensive. But then it turned out some of our European allies, particularly Britain and the Netherlands, stepped up and said, hey, they'd be willing to put a deal together. And Biden said, yes, we will participate. And now it looks like Ukraine will have F-16s. No timeline given, but maybe as early as this autumn. And the U.S. will agree to help train those Ukrainian pilots to fly our F-16. Okay, I have a really long windup for my next question. Why? Why, why are we doing this? There's four or five reasons. You know, probably the biggest one is this is the U.S. and NATO's commitment to Ukraine medium and long term. You know, Russia attacks through Ukraine's airspace all the time with those drones and missiles. And Ukraine needs better air defenses. They've lost about 60 of their fighters. And NATO allies, you know, we want to replace aircraft with F-16s that will be compatible for a long time. So when this war ends, Ukraine's still going to have to defend its airspace. We want them to use NATO interoperable F-16s to do that. And hopefully this will help in time cut down on some of the civilian casualties. Possible 
that Ukraine could in time also use the F-16 and its air to ground roll to attack Russian military forces that are on Ukraine's territory. You mentioned the possibility of attack, and I just want to share what the Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, has said about this latest, what he describes as an escalation. He said, we must keep in mind that one of the modifications the F-16 can have or can accommodate is nuclear weapons. If you don't understand this, then you're worthless as a military strategist and planner. I think the idea from Moscow's perspective is this is an escalation. This is another step toward a direct hot war. How do you respond to critics who say this is not good for U.S. interests? Well, Sergei Lavrov, we could send them a Bowie knife and he'd say it was an escalation. But with the F-16 specifically, (laughs) yes, some F-16s are adapted to carry nuclear weapons. Our U.S. forces in Europe during the Cold War sat in nuclear alert with the F-16s. But we do not sell the F-16s with the nuclear capability, the nuclear box, if you will, to every ally. And we have, you know, flat out assurances in this case that this supply of F-16s, there are no nuclear boxes and no nuclear weapons going to Ukraine. These F-16s are going to be used only in their conventional role. So take that, Sergei Lavrov. <laughs> He's never one to shy away from a headline, as you know. Now, you mentioned it, it will likely take months at least before the F-16s take to the skies above Ukraine. We're already 15 months and more than $100 billion into this conflict. And I'm speaking strictly from the American perspective. What's the end game here for us? I know I'd like to see those F-16s up there right now. And the administration's been quiet on the details, but they will go, hey, the end game has to be that we kick more Russians out of Ukraine to get to the point where there can be a peace that will hold. You know, right now, Kevin, there are just way too many Russian forces on Ukraine territory, and Putin is not in the mood to negotiate. Right now, there's just not a way to make a stable peace there until Ukraine has taken back more of its key territory, and to my mind, particularly in the South. You mentioned the uh, the Fighting Falcon, the F-16. Uh, there are those of us out here who would love to see, you know, maybe a a couple of raptors out there, or maybe a strike eagle. I'm not sure if that would actually work. Uh, going back, I'm dating myself. I was thinking, would a Tomcat work in this circumstance? But the F-16 does, I believe, give a strategic air and providing you know, close air support and general air support for Ukrainian troops. Is that the main focus, do you think, for making sure they have that ability? Obviously, you want to think about uh, the drones and, and um, Russian missiles as well. Yes, focus number one is going to be guarding Ukraine's airspace. It does have, just like you said, that air-to-ground role. But this F-16 is going to be interoperable with all the data links so they can keep a good view of what's going on in that airspace. And it's really, really crucial. You know, right now, today, you've got F-16s flown by Portugal and Romania that took over the mission guarding against Russia up out of Lithuania. So we want to see Ukraine's Air Force joining in this and then uh, tightening things up a little bit so that fewer of those Iranian-made drones and fewer of those Russian missiles can get through to civilian targets. That is one of the things that I don't think we see as often in Western television, the casualties. I mean, this is a devastating, devastating war from a civilian perspective, which is why there are those in Washington who argue if you don't push back on 
uh, Vladimir Putin, this will continue to happen. It will happen in Crimea. It will happen in Ukraine. It will happen in the Donbass. It will happen, you know, who knows, Georgia could be next. Not not throwing that out there, but I'm just saying that's the perspective. Can you understand why they see it that way? Yes. And with China backing Russia in this illegal war, you're so right. You look at the Maxar technology satellite imagery oh. of the town of Rubizhna. It is just flattened like how it looks when a hurricane goes through. This is Russian artillery that's flattened so much of Ukraine. We cannot let this stand. This is not acceptable. And yes, our security here in America and our global security and our ability to push back on China, it does depend on Russia losing the war in Ukraine. What took so long? And I say that somewhat understanding that this is political as much as it is a defense decision. Zelensky's been pushing for months pushing Western allies to provide, you know, fourth-generation aircraft like this. Finally, we've seen a decision made by the White House. It seems like this, I don't know, it seemed a bit of a slow walk to me. What's your perspective? Very slow, and honestly, no excuse for why it took so long to approve this F-16 deal. And, you know, it's going to now take a little bit longer you're going to need several weeks to get the Ukrainian pilots familiar and combat effective in the F-16, and then to get mm. the final details about which NATO jets are going. Um, this could all have been put in place. There's going to be a great allied effort to train the pilots, supply the spare parts, keep Ukraine's F-16s flying, and actually give them the airframes. This all could have been done so much earlier. There was some reluctance in the White House. I don't understand it. I'm glad they're doing it now. It's overdue, but it is a step in the right direction. For the folks who are not awash in what's happening in Washington generally, and for people who may not have a real strong grasp of what's happening here strategically, decisions like the F-16 really could be a game changer. Can you unpack that for me? Yeah, the F-16 decision doubles down, one, because it means it's a long-term commitment. So Putin has to see that, wow, NATO's in it for the long term to assist Ukraine. It also means that Putin's Russian forces that are in Ukraine could be vulnerable to attack by the F-16, which is a specialist in air-to-ground attack, and it can hit their armored vehicles. It can help cut off their retreat. All that was done very effectively by F-16s from Operation Desert Storm right up through the war against ISIS and, of course, in Afghanistan uh, and in Iraq. The F-16 is a devastating air-to-ground weapon, and Putin knows that, and that will be a big problem for any Russian soldiers who are in Ukraine. And given that, is it likely then that maybe this begins to shift the calculus for Putin in terms of maybe making a deal here, coming to some sort of a peace agreement? Is that some of the thinking here as well? Yes, the F-16 should shift his thinking. I think he's going to need to lose some more territory in Ukraine and have some more Russian. I think he needs to see Crimea under threat, but no question the F-16s backed by NATO and the U.S. show that NATO's got a long-term commitment. And they've said they'll stick with Ukraine to the end. And giving them the F-16s means that, yeah, they're really going to do it. They are really serious. Dr. Grant, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. 
That'll do it for this week's Fox News Rundown from Washington. Be sure to join us all next week as we keep an eye on the Fed as they look to raise interest rates. We'll also bring you the very latest on the federal indictments against former President Donald Trump. In the meantime, we thank you for listening. I'm Kevin Cork from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.